Hear the word of God from Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 10. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you in a way. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments with every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters, for some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that, as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand, so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. But let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. <clears throat> I'll try that one more time. I look a little more excited than that. Good morning, church. Thank you. That's much, much better. It's so good to be with all of you. This past weekend, we had our first Waypoint Men's Retreat. Can I get a woo-woo for those? <laughs> it was a wonderful time. We had about 50 men gathered together at Camp Chestnut, where at night, if you're never there at night, it's pitch black. Um, I'm not used to this, guys. I'm much more of a suburban city kind of person going out to the country. I didn't realize how dark it actually gets. Is that weird? Is that anybody else? That's just me. I'm like, it actually dark is really dark in places like the woods. Just throw it out there. It was an awesome time of learning what friendship means through the Bible. And I just praise God for this weekend. I'm asking all of you guys who didn't go, those of you guys who did go, continue praying. Pray that we continue to discover what friendship looks like. Pray that we discover what it means and then live it out in this community. So pray for that, pray for, not just the ones who went, but pray for the ones who didn't get a chance to go, and maybe 
um, they get to learn from and glean from and experience some of the benefits of the other people going. So it was a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Peter and Ben, for everybody who made it such a wonderful weekend. We're continuing in our series through the second, Corinthian, <coughs> through the second, second letter to the Corinthians. I can't speak. <clears throat> Last week, we read about Paul encouraging the Corinthians to freely give, to give generously with a gift for those in need in Judea. They had a desire to, to give, but over the course of time, that desire cooled off. So Paul encouraged them to keep on giving, to, to finish strong, but he didn't want to pressure them to give. And we spoke how, how giving and, and greed, how it comes together, and how greed is one of those things that's so hard to identify in our life. There's no measurable thing that's lying that says, at this point, you're now approaching greed. And how generous giving is our remedy to greed. It's our remedy to materialism. It's our remedy to, to wanting more all the time. And that's what Paul's asking at this part of the letter. He's, he wants them to have joy in their hearts that leads them to giving generously. And he talks about, we talked about last week how also that when you give, as Ms. Ruby said, you get so much more. Now, the getting more isn't necessarily financial. It could be. But it, what we did, what's promised in the Bible last week was you get an abundance, you get a down payment, you get a reward or a harvest of righteousness. That was promised in the Bible. This harvest of righteousness is, is that as you give generously with a joyous heart, you get to be a part of the work Jesus is doing. His transforming, his redeeming, his recreating work. That's what you're doing. How incredible is that? Now, this part of the letter, Paul switches gears again. He doesn't talk about offering anymore. He now returns to a different topic, the defense of his ministry. And this is a continued theme throughout the whole letter. He talks about this all throughout the letter, his defense of himself, his, his call as a leader, his ministry, his call as an apostle. It also goes to this, another theme that's all throughout the letter is this idea of reconciliation. Right? We said that first reconciled with God, then with each other, and we're now supposed to be agents of reconciliation. Paul's also defending, like, hey, to you, to the to people in Corinth, I want to be reconciled as well, even to the ones who are speaking that bad against me. Paul is defending his role in their lives, and in so doing, defending the truth of the gospel that he brought to them. And there's so much to learn from this defense. I remember being interviewed on a video once and asked to talk about Waypoint Church. And during that interview, I said something along the lines of, our church is a weird group of people who love Jesus and want others to love Jesus. Simple as that. That's what I said in the interview. This wasn't a thought-out statement. This, this wasn't one like a campaign or, it was just the first words that popped out. And I was just like, tell me about Waypoint Church. What's Waypoint Church? Like, oh, just a bunch of weird people who love Jesus and other people who love Jesus. That's what came out of my mouth. The interview followed up with, well, you said we're weird. What, what, made, what made you guys weird? Then I got self-conscious. I was like, uh-oh. My church people might hear that I call them weird. What do I say? So then I, I, a huge sigh of relief when I realized nobody's ever going to see this video. But then here I am now telling you that I called them weird, so I'm just not very smart. But I use the term weird not in a negative way, but in a way that means different. And I love that we feel different, or we want to be different from the world. Different by the way we show grace and forgiveness, by the standards we use to judge. Different because of the love of Christ and the work of the Spirit that transforms us. And so Paul and the work he did looked different from what the Corinthians expected here in 2 Corinthians. 
the text here says Paul was timid and not very impressive to the Corinthians. He was weird. Didn't take money from them or seek prestige. He worked among them, served and taught in a gentle, timid manner. Then a group of leaders came after him, and they were very impressive. They were powerful and prestigious. They were well-connected. Chapter 3 says they had letters of recommendation. Chapter 5, they said they had awesome visionary experiences. Chapter 11 even calls them super apostles. They were skilled speakers, super apostles. They were powerful. They were successful. They looked apart. You know, they had nice suits on with nice creases. I don't know what that's like. And then there's Paul. Here's what people were saying about Paul, that he's humble when face-to-face, but bold went away. He roars like a lion in letters, but is pitiful in person. The Corinthians were far more impressed with the powerful leaders than there were someone ordinary like Paul, which is weird to say that someone ordinary like Paul, because when I think of Paul, I'm like, Paul. So the Corinthians were starting to go against the teachings of Paul in favor of what these new charismatic leaders were saying. And so Paul is writing here in chapter 10 to go against this idea to defend his ministry and urge his people to truth. And I want us to learn from this passage what we should be looking for. The ideas of how we should be looking at churches and leaders and truth. How we should evaluate leaders in the church. And I'm I'm so glad how Paul does this. And and in this passage, he kind of gives us three qualities to look for in the church. And some of you guys are like, Lawrence, why are you giving us three qualities to look for in the church? Is this an attempt to show off how awesome Waypoint is? Yes? No, no, it's not. It's for three different reasons. Number one, because some of you are here maybe new today. And you may be looking for a church. You may may have wandered in and may today's passage help you because it will give you some of the things that you should be thinking about through scripture, from scripture, to look for what, what you should be looking for in the church and your leaders. Two, because some of you, or actually some of you, most all of you are part of this church. And I love that you are. I love this church. I can't believe that I get to be a part of this church. But if you're a part of this church, then you're a part of this church. And what I mean by that, if you're a part of this church, and this is your church, and if this is your church, then it's up to you to make sure that we're on track with what the scriptures are saying we should be. Does that make sense? If you're a part of this church, that means you're a part of the church. That means it's also your responsibility that we resemble this stuff. Right? And then number three, all of us at some point will probably not be at this church. It's just reality. Right? It's kind of sad to say that. Most likely, you're not going to be born and raised in the same church since the day you were born to the day you die. Just saying. Most likely, this is a very transient area. A lot of, some, some people come for jobs or school or whatever. People, we might end up in a different church. Here at Waypoint, we believe that we're all journeying, that we're all on a journey. And we're on this journey of sanctification. Right now, as you become a member of Waypoint, this is just where you're called to be at this moment of time in your life. And we want to journey with you during this time. But there's a chance that you will be at another church. So this is to help you to think about what it is you need to look for. And that's okay. We're not saying that once you sign up to be a member of Waypoint, you better never move. Some of you, that's true. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I am saying that right now we've called a covenant, and so in this time period where you're here under our teaching and our love and our authority together, I want to show you, hopefully from Scripture, what it means to find what a good church looks like so you can help us build that church here, but also you know what to look for. Does that make sense? You guys with me so far? Can I say this? First thing you should look for in a church is for leaders 
who look like and are gentle like Jesus. One of the criticisms of Paul was that he was too humble in person. He wasn't overbearing. In his first letter that he was with them, he said, in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible in words of wisdom. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's one of the first things he says to them. He came in weakness and in fear and much trembling. He contrasts this to the super apostles who seemed to have it all together, dressed awesome, amazing sounding voices, speak with the eloquence of MLK, always ready with a quick, witty response, never flustered. And I know you're thinking, wow, that sounds just like Lawrence. <laughs> it's not, I know. I know, I know. But in this passage, Paul makes it clear, meekness and gentleness matter more than charisma. When you're looking for a church, look for leaders who are meek and gentle. Look at verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face to you, but bold towards you in a way. Paul, guys, can, you can tell from his writing, he's not gentle by temperament. Let me say that again. You read Paul's letter, he's not a gentle guy by temperament. He's gentle because he wants to model his ministry after Jesus. He's gentle because he wants to, he's not because he's gentle because he's gentle. He's gentle because he wants to be like Jesus. Don't get the wrong idea about Paul. Paul knew how to be bold in person too. But he knew the way to reach them, to be different from the world in this time, was to be gentle in tone with the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 10, 2 says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Paul wasn't scared to confront. He wasn't afraid of people, but that was his last resort. He wanted to be gentle with them, just as Jesus is gentle with us. There are people out there who talk about Jesus. Oh, Jesus overturned tables. He, overturned, he flipped over tables. He took a whip out. He did, like once. Right? Am I right? How many times, Dan, Pastor Danny and I were talking about this. People, like, oh, people who love talking about the confrontational, angry Jesus. It's like, they use that, quote that all the time. Jesus was angry. He flipped over tables. Yeah, but do you know what he did most of the time? He forgave. He healed. He fed. He was humble. He lowered himself over and over again, over and over and over again, lowered himself, lowered himself. He could have demanded everything. It was all his by right. He should have been served. He should have been groveled to. But he didn't. He was gentle. Gentle. We contrast this with the powerful leaders. In chapter 11, later you, you'll read, next week you'll hear about this, but it says in verse 19, you gladly put up with fools since you were so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we're too weak for that. What? They're putting up with leaders, these super apostles who are doing that to them. I don't understand. Why would anyone put up with leaders who treat them this way? Right? But can we be real? Don't, you see it happening all the time, don't we? I have friends, smart friends, who've worked under or been a part of abusive leaders for a long time. And why do they put up with it? Or leaders who are just harsh like this, why do they put up with it? Because sometimes harsh leaders like this get things done. Am I right? Sometimes I often joke about in college football, there's a the, there's the style period of like the, the Nick Saban style of coaching where the harder you are, the harsher you are. Or there's another style of pre coaching. I'm not saying one's more effective than the other. Maybe Nick Saban style is the most effective. But that's the problem, isn't it? 
because it is effective. We overlook a lot of warning signs because certain leader type styles, certain leaders are effective, they're successful. And we often value our version of success over the methods used to achieve that success. Does that make sense? We often value the harshness because we don't care that it's harsh as long as the effects are whatever the effects are, as long as we still win. I'm a hypocrite because I'll be honest with you guys, right now, if Lawrence, if you said, Lawrence, if you'll take Urban Meyer as your coach at the University of Florida right now, would you say? I'd probably say yes. Just to be honest with you guys, because I value winning that much. This is a, kind of a joke, so please don't judge me right now. <laughs> okay, please don't judge me that much. Everybody's like, uh-oh. What I mean by that is, as a University of Football football fan, I'm not the one suffering from Urban's treatment of his players. So I'm like, I want the winning. Because sometimes it's effective. Sometimes harsh leadership is effective, but what we're talking about is that why are we looking at the effect, the results, more than the means of achieving that results? And what's, what are the results that we're really needing to get? Please don't mistake me when I, mean, when I say gentle. When I talk about gentleness, I'm not talking about being weak or scared. When I say being a gentle leader, it doesn't mean being weak or scared. It means, I mean taking the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is being the roaring lion that can be led like the lamb. What I mean by that is to look for is to look for a leader who are gentle like Jesus because the way they lead will be embodied in the culture. Can I tell you that when you look for leaders who lead like Jesus, then the way they lead will be what's embodied in the culture of the church. The culture of the church is often driven by the leaders in the church. So if you have leaders who are sacrificial and gentle, then often you'll have a culture of a church like that. If you have a win-at-all-cost leaders, then you'll have a culture in your church like that. Guys, one of the overall messages through all this is look at the church and look at what you want through the eyes of God. Not through the ways of the world. Understand that what's so much more important than a winning at all cost culture is a culture that looks like Jesus. Does that make sense? Are you with me so far? Number two, look for a church that helps you overcome the lies of the world. Look for a church that teaches you the truth that overcomes the lies of the world. This is so important. It's easy for church to follow culture. And if we're not careful, churches can become mirrors of culture. We can value the same things that culture does, but when church follows culture, it never transforms culture. See, our viewpoint, my viewpoint, our desire for our church is never to be outside of culture. Because right? we are in culture. This is, we're driven by the, the, the traditions and the things that drive us, our common experiences, our common language. That's our culture. So we are in culture. But we want to be instruments that's not driven. We want to be a church that's not driven by what's happening in culture. We want to be a church that transforms culture. Does that make sense? We want to be light in a dark place. We want to be salt so that what happens, we want to be east that goes through all of culture. And what it does is it makes it different. I'll give you an example. Right now, culture preaches a very religious message of radical individualism, right? True to yourself. What's most important to you is the most important thing in the world. Get in touch with your inner self and live that's authentic. Live however you'd like, as long as it doesn't interfere with anybody else. Live however you want to please you. And it's easy for churches to copy this message. Churches that echo the false gospel of culture rather than the gospel of Jesus. 
But as one recent writer named David Brooks observes, it's not working. Our society has become a conspiracy against joy. We see the shocking rise of mental illness, suicide, and distrust. The answers our society gives takes all the difficulties of living and makes them worse. They are floundering in a formless desert. Not only do we not give them a compass, we take a bucket of sand and throw it all over their heads. What's the alternative? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we'll be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Paul is challenging the way that the Corinthian church has been co-opted by the world's values. He's gentle, but he's saying he's going to fight to destroy the opinions of thought that are against the knowledge of God. So that the Corinthian church could take captive every thought to obey Christ. We need to make sure our churches and what we teach is truth, even if it's unpopular. We need to hold what our leaders say against the whole counsel of scripture. And in order to do that well, you need to know the word of God for yourself. You need to spend personal time in the word, memorize it, know the message of it. My people, hear me well. I urge you to know and love the word of God. I've said this a million times at Waypoint Church. If I teach something wrong, if I teach something wrong out of the word of God, if, it's, if it, that's on me and God and I, and God will have a judgment, he will have a talk with me, that's a huge deal. If I teach something wrong, that's big. But can I tell you something? If you believe everything I say without testing it to the word of God, that's on you. Because I'm telling you right now, I'll tell you all the time from up here that, hey, take everything that I say and everything our leaders say, anybody else says up here, take it against the word of God. Make sure it fits. Because can I tell you that who's not perfect? This guy. I mess up all the time. My wife knows. <laughs> I want to make sure, I'm so, so careful to t tell you that make sure, please, don't let me teach you anything wrong. I need you to come tell me, hey, Lawrence, so, against scripture, what you just said. Now, what I don't need you to do is be like, Lawrence, your, your voice just sounds terrible. <laughs> I'm sorry. Every time you speak, I just get like, oh. And I'm like, I got nothing to say to that. I, sorry. <laughs> I might cry a little if you said that. but Test it. You need to know the word of God. Not just me. You need to know. And you need to love it. Now, I know some of you guys are sitting here, Lawrence, you say that, I heard it my whole life, and I don't think you understand, I hate reading, I hate studying, I'm not good at it like other people are, and I get that, and I'm not saying that you need to know it as well as somebody else, I'm not, I'm not saying that, I didn't, I'm not saying that you need to have like an ability of a poet or a literature degree or anything like that to know, what I am saying is do What's in your capacity as God's given you, do it faithfully and intentionally, and you'll be so surprised what God does in, in teaching you his word. There are other ways as well. You're like, oh, I hate reading, I don't have time. Well, you can listen to it. Throw a little audio Bible on as you're driving, right? I heard some good audio Bibles. My wife used to listen to the audio Bible. She said there was a guy who had this voice for demons that was just weird, but it was funny. We talk about it and laugh about her audio Bible listening. Throw some audio Bible because she has a 30-man drive to work. Throw it on. Listen to the Bible. And I'm not saying listen to the Bible because, hey, we're here at church and we're just all religious ritual and by reading the Bible is a magic formula because when you read the Bible, it's magical and all of a sudden everything's better in your life. I'm not saying that. I'm saying get to know God better. 
Because I will promise you that the more you know him, the more you love him. And the more you love him, the better it is for you. And the word is revealing who he is. And when I say better it is for you, it doesn't mean that everything in life is perfect, everything works out. No, I'm saying the more you know and the more you love, the more everything starts making a little bit more sense and you trust. Do you hear me? Know the word. Know him better. Don't look for charismatic leaders. Look for gentle ones. Don't look for a church that just mimics culture and says whatever the culture wants them to say, but look a church that speaks truth and points out lies that are not beneficial for you. And three, look for a church that boasts in the right things. Boasting in itself isn't wrong. What matters is what you boast about. The super apostles boast about the wrong things, says Paul. They're all about measuring and comparing themselves to others. In verses 13 to 16, they seem to be boasting about how far they traveled to come to Corinth. One professor said they had set up their own subjective standards of excellence, trading in rhetoric, speaking fees, ecstatic experiences, commendations, awards, and so on, and then judged themselves by conforming to those standards. They knew how to market themselves and their successes. Not Paul. Paul's going to spend a lot of time talking about boasting in the rest of his letter, so we we'll return to this, but we get a hint of what he's going to say. He says, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Here's the bottom line for the church. The only thing that a church has to boast about is Jesus. A good church never boasts about how cool or great they are. How could they? We are nothing but a bunch of imperfect, sinful people who need God desperately. That's who we are. But we have one amazing thing going for us. We're a bunch of sinners. We're a bunch of imperfect, weak people. But we have one amazing thing going for us. Jesus. We have one message to talk about. It's Jesus. We're not the big deal. He is. And our only hope is what Jesus has done for us. Who he is to us. And what he is doing in this world. Do you want to brag about something? Brag about Jesus. Don't brag about your looks or your career or anything like that. Don't build your life on what you accomplish and what you can achieve. Build your life on Jesus. Put your hope in him and boast only in him. Guys, can I tell you, a life built on anything else is like building it on sand. It's crumbly. Do you know what I mean by that? Oh, you built your life. Look how successful you are. Oh, man, you got, you got a great career. You got a great job. And then all of a sudden, the next day, you get laid off. Oh, look how popular you are. People like you. You know, you're well thought of. And then one mistake or one even false rumor, and all of a sudden, you're not liked anymore. It crumbles and it fades away. Oh, you built your life. And look how much money I have. Look how wealthy I am. I have wealth, I have power, and then one crash in the market, one bad financial decision, one even robbery, even something you didn't do, something that just happened to you, and it's all gone. What do you build your life on? You build it on Jesus, the solid rock. And it's built on the fact that you're known and you're loved. You're called beloved child. You're called a purpose. And I think there's no force in heaven and earth that can crumble that. There's no force in heaven and earth that can take that away from you. You're loved. And it changes everything. 
My people, we stay away from churches that make their message about themselves. And my people, may we never be a church at Waypoint like that. Can I tell you how easy a temptation that is? Can I tell you right now how simple, how desirable it is to say and to want to boast about how great we are? Let me tell you, as a pastor of this church, let me tell you that it is a temptation of mine all the time to want to say and speak about how amazing you are, how amazing this church is, how amazing we are together, and kind of sometimes forget that it's not about us, it's what Jesus has done. I feel like I want to take credit. I do. I know you guys do too. So much of life, and it's okay. This is not a condemning message that says, that's so terrible, what's wrong with you? No, this is a message that says, hey, here's a great, God wants you to boast. We're made to be people who boast. We delight, we like to talk about what we delight in. Hey, there's a reason why I like talking about all the funny things that Josiah Hudson says. Because I delight in them so much. I delight in them, so when Hudson says something funny, I want to tell everybody about it. Hey, did you hear what Hudson said? Did you hear what Hudson said? Did you hear what Hudson said? That's okay. That is okay. There's a reason I'm glad that we delight in the church, but guys, what the heart's, what's calling, what the calling is, is that you delight so much in Jesus that that's what you want to boast about. You delight so much in your relationship with them, like, hey, hey, let me tell you, let me tell you what I've been learning about lately. Hey, let me just tell you what it feels like to be loved in this way. Let me tell you that I can, you know, when fear and bad things and anxiety strikes me, I just rest and I try so hard, but I do it. The Spirit allows me to rest in the fact that I'm known and I'm loved. And the Bible says that the sparrows are taken care of and the, the flowers are dressed well, I'm good. We're made to boast. Boast in Jesus. Find a church that boasts in Jesus. Tim Keller says, if someone understands the cross, it's either greatest thing in life or it's repugnant to them. If it is neither of those two things, they haven't understood it. If someone understands the cross, it's either the greatest thing in life or it's repugnant. It's gross, it's weird. It doesn't make any sense. My people, if you understand the cross, it should be the greatest thing in life. We should be boasting in Jesus. We should be boasting in the cross. Guys, don't look for flashy ministry. Don't get caught up by the ways and the eyes of the world and the way the world sees things. Looking for flash over substance. Looking for smoke and Fire, which I like all that kind of stuff. I kind of sometimes wish, wish I had like fire coming. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Smoke. No, no, no smoke. Daddy said no laser light shows. What I'm saying is this. We look for leaders who resemble Jesus. Gentle like him. A church that helps you overcome the lies of the world by teaching truth. And that only boasts in Jesus. May we be that church, Waypoint May you help us become that church. And for those of you who are looking for churches, may you use these as a way to look for wherever church God's called you to be. And I love this thing. I'm going to close with this. I love how Paul in this passage talks about, hey, my sphere and the authority in my sphere. He's saying to them, hey, here's the deal, Corinthians. I'm not bragging. I'm not boasting. But I'm saying this. God has called me to be your spiritual authority in this place. I'm not taking that lightly. But I will speak truth, even if it's hard to hear. 
Waypoint Church, can I tell you that the leaders of Waypoint, do they take lightly the fact that for some reason God's called us together. And he's allowed our leaders to be the leaders of this amazing body. We don't take it lightly. Take it very seriously. And our prayer as leaders of this church is that we can look like Jesus. We can be gentle like him, lay down power like him, sacrifice like him. Our prayer is that we can speak truth from his word to combat the lies of the culture and that we boast only in the cross. So on behalf of leaders at Waypoint, to all of you, we thank you for trusting our leadership and allowing us to have this fear over you. We love you guys. And I pray that you guys continue to help us become a church like this. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for God for the cross. That for those of us who truly know what it means, God, that we know it is the greatest thing of all time. God, so we cannot help but boast in it and boast only in you, Jesus. God, your love for us has been so amazing and so transformative, God. And I love, God, the way that you lead us. Jesus, you led us with gentleness. That you are the roaring lion, the all-powerful one over all creation. Yet you humbled yourself to even death. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for speaking truth that transformed culture. God, that we're not here to just be a part of it or fall victim to it, but we're called to transform it. And God, as a church, may we boast only in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.